0: Romans chapter 12, and meet me at verse 1. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, and it reads like this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. Will of God. Let's pray. Our God, and our Father, we love you and we bless you. We're grateful um, that you've allowed us to descend once again. Um, into this fellowship, um, that together we can better understand uh, your truth, your word. um, For us, Um, Lord, uh, the Christian life is best lived out in community. It is not an individual uh, run or marathon, um, but it is a team sport in which every person is acquired to be all that we can be. So we pray, God, for this church, and we pray now for this word that goes forth. Use me how you would use me, God. Hide me behind your cross, that they might hear you and not just me. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Um, it was February 20, or February sixth, two thousand three. Shady Records released the debut album for platinum recording artist Fifty Cent. Not fifty. Fifty Cent. Uh, anybody know the name of that album? Get Rich or Die Trying. Good. 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 good uh singles he uh released from that album uh in the club 21 questions i don't know what you heard about me no p-i-m-p all right (laughs) these albums topped billboard charts the album is regarded by many as one of the top albums in the 2000s that album particularly the title uh, has a bit of context has a bit of of backstory because, known to many of you, 50 Cent was shot nine times in Queens, New York on May 24th, 2000. See, so he managed to survive, but he was dropped from his label, Columbia Records, and remained unsigned for a number of years. Uh, it was actually Eminem who ended up hearing a mixtape and decided to sign into his label, Shady Records. I'm not here necessarily to to give you a lesson on rap history, but the album, which later gave rise to a movie of the same name, it communicates the, uh, uh, the total dissatisfaction of 50 Cent to receive anything less than getting rich. The idea of get rich or die trying is a profession of the rapper that anything other than getting rich is totally unacceptable. What about us? Is there a a singular objective in your life, an aim in your life that unless it is achieved is totally unacceptable? What are you willing to let die so that uh, something else might live? Jesus Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, says this about life and death, that death is the destination which we all share. No one has ever escaped it, and that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. So this morning, I don't want to talk to you about getting rich or die trying, But there's something that is attainable for you and me that has one formula. Get life and die trying. Get life and die trying. And it's simply this. If you hear nothing else that I am going to say to you today, the one thing that I want to communicate to you is that Understanding the depths of what God has done for us compels us to disregard our worldly ambitions and motives and lay everything down, the essence of who we are, to be reshaped for his mission. In other words, if I'm going to be a true Christian, the goal of my life must not, to be acomp- must not be to accomplish my own goals and to please my own self, but my goal in life, my singular focus, the thing in which I am willing to let everything else die, must be to please God. Paul says, I appeal to you, or I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He says, I appeal, I beseech you, I urge you. Paul's appeal rests in his motivation and the empowerment of recognizing the mercies of God. What are these mercies? See, any good Bible student or scholar would say when you come across a verse and there's a word in it like therefore, you want to go back and you want to check what's the therefore there for. So in in, in particular, in chapters 1 through 11 in this letter to the Roman church, Paul is building a theological treatise. And the reason why the book of Romans is so important is that uh, 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 Rome is the center of the Roman Empire. So when Paul was writing to this church, he knew that he was talking perhaps to people of particular importance and influence. In other words, Paul had to come correct. So he builds some of his most fantastical legalistic arguments as to uh, uh, the purpose for and and the nature of and, and the background of the world. You see, in Romans chapter 1 through 3, Paul is detailing the righteous nature of God versus the corrupt and the sinful nature of man. In chapter 4, you've heard how Paul uses Abraham to show that we are made righteous by faith right? Chapters 5 through 8 show us that righteousness is rendered to us, is not of our own merit, not based on anything that we have done, but really is based on the righteousness of God. Chapters 9 and 11 then detail how is uh, the people of God, how are the people of God grafted into his particular mission and purpose into this world? So, so, Based on these theological underpinnings, based on all these things that he's built up in terms of right argument now, Paul is saying, therefore, I must give you something practical to live with. He says, I've done all the the explaining, the, the heady stuff that I need to do, the biblical truths that you need to know. Now I need you to understand. Therefore, based on these things, this is how you ought to live. In other words, uh, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the hinge of Romans. It is connecting its orthodoxy, meaning right belief, with its orthopraxy, meaning right practice. You see, there are plenty of Christians who understand what to believe, but don't know how to practice what they believe. But then there are Christians who understand how they ought to behave, but then they don't really believe what they ought to believe. You see, we have Christians who are willing to to believe all the right things, but who are willing to stay home, be separated from his church, be separated from the communal building and the mission and the purpose of the church in this world. And they're comfortable allowing God to feed them on an individual basis, to, to, to take in all the grace and the favor that God would have for them and their own selves, but will stay completely disconnected from his church, all the right belief. No hands and feet to their belief. But then there are Christians who will show up in church, say all the right things, go to all the right meetings, join all the right ministries. But guess what? How they believe about God, what's core to their central concern and character, is totally separate from what will allow them to fulfill their mission and purpose for God. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, it hinges these both of these worlds, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. What's the sentiment that Paul wants you you to understand in these chapters, 1 through 11, is that God is merciful. God is a merciful God. That's the overall prevailing sentiment of 1 through 11. You know when you got in trouble, when you were growing up, or you know when you did something wrong at work. A fireable fence, and you are praying that the boss would overlook it. All right, clocked in your time sheet a little bit. Uh, earlier than when you got there, okay? Uh, did something wrong on your taxes? Fudged the little numbers, praying that the IRS wouldn't come after you, right? Uh, uh, cheated, looked over at uh, your your uh, your uh, your fellow students' uh, paper and and vocabulary quiz, right? We all know that when we got caught, or there was a threat of us caught in doing something wrong, what do we ask for? Mercy. You know what mercy is. Mercy is you not getting what you ought to deserve. Paul said there's a prevailing sentiment that's throughout the duration of human history that humanity has perhaps never just gotten what it's deserved, particularly for us, that there's a mercy that's available for us that's ongoing, that's natural, but there's a greater mercy that God has presented that if putting your faith and belief and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ then gives you and frees you from the punishment and the power of sin. It is by this mercy, through this mercy, by means of this mercy that Paul now says, therefore, brothers, I appeal to you, I beseech you, I urge you, Without God, without mercy, there's no forgiveness of sins, no propitiation of sins. That's just a big word for satisfaction, that there's nothing you or I could do to satisfy the ways in which we fall short of God's glorious standard, that God created us for a purpose And we fall short of that purpose on an hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, lifelong basis. But that's okay because Jesus died to satisfy God's wrath. And he died in such a way that God did not have to turn a blind eye to sin. But Jesus took all the sin. Jesus bore the sin of the world that you and I and every single person that will put their confidence in him would not have to suffer judgment or punishment. By this mercy, Paul says, I appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your Spiritual worship or reasonable service. Let's not be so quick to pass by that term, living sacrifice. All right. So I want to take you back to biblical times. Okay. Sacrifice ritualistically meant that a goat—you take a goat or a lamb or whatever it is, unblemished, perfect. Okay. And you would take it and you would slit his throat. Okay. And the blood would come rushing out of the throat. You gather that blood. And that blood might be sprinkled on an altar, it might be sprinkled on people in some other places in the Bible, okay? It's very nasty, it's very gory, okay? But it's just for us, it's nasty and gory. For them, it was like watching football, I don't know, all right? But for us, what we have to realize is that when Paul now says to them, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, well, wait, now that is something a little weird. That is something. So, ritualistically, they would have understood what sacrifice meant. Totally normal for them. Totally, like, every day. Okay, sacrifice. But wait, now you're asking us to present ourselves as a sacrifice. Wait, Paul, what are you talking about you see uh, uh, paul is uh, suggesting to them that they ought not to offer their members or their bodies to sin but they ought to offer their members and bodies and their personhood to god This thought and idea is captured back in chapter 6. Paul builds on the idea when he says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. This, this idea of present yourselves, okay, it, uh, it could also be rendered, present your very own selves. It's a, it's a reflexive word. So it's to say, uh, okay, to the very core of you, to the very essence of who you are, okay, not just uh, what your hands do, not just what your feet do, not just how your mind thinks, but to, to the very core and identity of who I am that that is being presented to God as a living sacrifice. Now, let's break down that term living. Living means not necessarily, uh, it's not event-based. It's not, okay, at this point, I give myself as a sacrifice. Now, two months later, at this point, I give myself as a sacrifice. Now, okay, 10 years down the line, now at this point, I give myself as a sacrifice. Living sacrifice is not event-based, but it is lifestyle living that every single day, Every single minute of every hour, I am consistently dedicating myself to laying myself down onto an altar, presenting the essence of who I am, the core of my identity, to be used and serve God. Amazing thing about this. Paul, after just building an argument of 11 chapters, of how we could never satisfy our own sin, now asks us to make sacrifice to God for our sins. Just went through 11 chapters talking about how we can't satisfy it. Yet he still calls us to sacrifice. Now here's the thing that, here's the thing that we have to to, to understand, you see, that there is kind of a bell curve when it comes to this sacrifice. How many of you guys know what a bell curve is? All right, we got one person out. All all the students should have raised their hand. I don't know y'all, teachers don't talk about that no more. Okay, all right, but bell curve, okay, is when everybody in the class failed a test. When everybody in the class scored maybe like a 60 or a 50 or a 40, the teacher was like, oh, I messed up. This test must have been too hard. Or everybody just ain't studying. But by the grace of the teacher, what they do is they change the rubric, and they change the criteria for how the test should be scored. So a 60, actually, if you were the highest score and you scored a 60, that actually might become a hundred. That might become an A plus. So what under normal standards might have been a D, might have been a failing grade, in the teacher's eyes now became a passing score. Don't you know God does this with your sacrifice? Your sacrifice might be like a D. Your sacrifice might be like failing, but thanks be to God, when you lay yourself, when you lay your essence on the altar, guess what? God changes the score from failing to passing. There's a bell curve to this thing in which human effort meets divine fulfillment that there is a meeting between what you can do naturally and what God will do supernaturally. This living sacrifice ought to be pleasing. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That word acceptable is also pleasing. Ephesians 5.8 wrote this at one time, for at one time... You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What this verse or series of verses tells us about back in Romans chapter 12 is that what pleasing to the Lord is is when we do things that are in line with his nature. That you please the Lord when you are peaceable with people. You please the Lord when you, when you are involved in justice. You please the Lord when you make sure that things are fair. You please the Lord when you live holy, okay? You please the Lord when you do things that are in line with his nature. Now, you don't have to be a, 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 a musician or an instrumentalist to know that when there's a song being played or, 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 or a song being su- sung, you don't have to, to be an expert to know when something sounds off key. You don't have to be an expert to know when uh, someone is dramatically tone deaf. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, so, so in in other words, let me break it down for you. That that there are there's a there's a key of life in which God has ordained we should uh, play within. And 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 the beautiful thing about music is that even if a key has only twelve notes in it, that you can play and make orchestras and make melodic sentiments with all different types. Just twelve notes is all you need. And he says, stay within this key. But guess what? Sometimes when you hit an off note, that throws every thing off and all God wants you to do in order to stay pleasing to him you can write an orchestra or uh, you can write a symphony or whatever it is you can you can be like Beethoven just stay within the key don't hit off note don't get tone deaf on me but stay in the key being in concert with God that's what's pleasing to him that's what's acceptable to him it says this is your reasonable service <laughs> or your spiritual worship uh, the 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 thing that constitutes this spiritual worship. How can one verse have these two really different translations? Well, the word that they're using is more so the word that uh, is talking about the logical end to uh to the logical end to to a sentiment or a thought or a concept that uh, the logic of something or the the reason of something in other words when you have come down the line and you understand what god has done for you you understand his mercy and you agree to the fact that you ought to offer yourself as a living sacrifice paul says guess what that was just the logical conclusion." That was just the logical outworking of now understanding what Jesus has done for you. That when you have come to that conclusion, that you are a subject of the mercy of God, that God has gone through time and space and broke through to save and to grab you individually and particularly, that those things are indicative of the fact that you ought to lay down your life for him. And guess what? That's reasonable. That's logical. That as a creature created by God, there is a logical end to my purpose that when I realize who, who created me, when I realize who knit me, when I realize who came to my aid and who came to my help, there is a reasonable, logical end to that concluding sentiment that I ought to serve and worship God. That's why some translations say it's spiritual worship and some say reasonable service because guess what? The two are indistinguishable that there is a logical end to you and me, worship. That's what's reasonable. That's what's spiritual and worship. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in grammar, there's this thing called a voice. And there's two main voices, active voice and passive voice. So active is something in which the subject is doing something. So the subject is controlling the direct object. Okay? So in other words, Chris throws a football. Okay? All right? Versus surgery was performed on Chris. That's passive voice. So uh, active voice is when you, the subject, are doing something. Passive voice is when something is being done to you. Y'all following me? I'm sorry for the short grammar section, but I, I, I tried to keep it as short as possible, okay? Active, dun- you're doing something. Passive, something's being done to you. Now, this conforming, do not be conformed, very critical to understand this, that there is in this world an irresistible desire to be conformed, that when left alone in this world, that without submitting yourself to the sanctifying power and work of the Holy Spirit, that there is an irresistible desire to conform To the world. It says, do not be conformed. It says, don't, don't, it doesn't say don't conform. It says, do not be conformed, all right? It's what's being done to you by being left in the world without a sanctifying power. Okay, but, but here here it is, it says, but be transformed. Oh, this is important too. The transformation part is also not being done by you. Y'all ain't hearing me in here. You are not responsible for the inward transformation of your life. God is the one who does the transforming work inside of you and inside of your heart. This may lift a burden off of some of you. You've been trying too hard to transform yourself. But what you need to do verse 1 already talked about it when i lay down my life on the altar god then will do the work supernatural work of transforming me from the inside out now here now here's the other thing that you have to understand about conform versus transform conform is talking about the irresistible desire of to be conformed to the world is talking about simply behavior outside acts, okay? What you do on the outside, your patterns, your habits, those things, right? But transform, Transform is from the DNA. Transform is from the roots. Transform is from the inside. Transform is from the essence that when God has chosen you to be one of his people, he doesn't just change your outward acts, he doesn't just change your behavior. That God changes you from the essence, from the inside, from the DNA out. Is there anybody in here who's been transformed? not just conform. You don't conform to Christianity. You don't just change your acts to be religious. I hope you youth hear me in here that Christianity is not religiosity, that Christianity is a way of life, that the essence, the very soul, my very being, it's all about worshiping God, about being transformed from the inside out, that I substitute my goal in life to please myself, to please God. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. God says there's, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, here's the thing. Renewing, see, the renewing of your mind is active. All right. So that is something that you participate in. Okay, so so there's a it goes back and forth. You see, there's there's a symbiotic relationship between you and God that God is requiring you to do some things. But uh, what you can't do, Uh, God is going to meet you and he's going to bring to completion. I'm getting ahead of myself. But the renewal of the mind is it's, it's 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 hearkening back to the idea and the symbol and the picture of baptism. That when you renew your mind, you are making clean again, that you are leaving old things to die, and you are picking up new things. All right let me let me make a real, 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 real plain example. All right. All right. Now there comes a point in time in every person's life where they go through that stage of puberty, right? When uh, especially for the young men in the house, you know, there was a point in time at which your mom or dad or whoever was helping raise you started to maybe smell something funky in the house. And we understood that it was uh, it was uh, 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 your 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 underarms needed some maintenance and care. Amen. So there was a point in time in which you said there was a before, perhaps, where there wasn't as much of a smell, but there was a distinct point in time where, where something changed, and you now needed to make sure that every day that you put on, what do you call it? Deodorant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this renewing of the mind is in that same vein that just like every day, you know you don't leave the house without deodorant anymore. Hallelujah. Well, hopefully you don't. Amen. But just like every day you don't leave the house putting on that deodorant, make sure every day you're waking up reading your Bible. Before you go to sleep, you say your prayers. When you come to church, make sure you worship in spirit and truth. And make sure that you are consistently on a daily basis, weekly basis, giving glory to God and renewing your mind, putting on your spiritual deodorant. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is, uh, that you may prove what is that is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This idea of proving... And once again, this one is in the active. You are doing the proving. You are doing, in other words, testing and or approving. Uh, The idea of this word or this sentiment is that of vetting political candidates, people who are vying to be uh, voted into uh, uh, political leadership. Right? That when people are going into that process, they are vetted. They are checked. Their background is checked. You do a diligence just as far as making sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Amen. We don't want somebody getting into the White House, you know, who's lied and who's been done all these different. Oh, sorry, that already happened. But normally in vetting processes, what you're doing is making sure you're certifying that they are up to the task to carry the mantle to which they are going to be voted. And what happens too much, brothers and sisters, is that when we are going through the Christian life, sometimes we'll listen to logic, sometimes we'll listen to advice, sometimes we'll listen to wisdom, but it's not really that great of a wisdom. It's just human wisdom. We're learning and we're, and we're depending on things that haven't been proven. We're leaning and depending on things that haven't been vetted. But guess what, brothers and sisters? You have the responsibility when you have laid down your life Life on the altar, when God has initiated the transformation for your life, you then have a responsibility to vet and to prove and approve everything that you are going to participate in. That if it is not adding to or helping you along with your mission and the vision that God has called you to, guess what? You need to leave it. You need to let it go. You need to let it die. Only the things that strategically will help you. And giving God glory, not yourself self-glory. You know, when your motivation is right, you cut off the right things. When your motivation ain't right, you hold on to the wrong things and let go of the right things. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Things are good when they bring about moral and spiritual growth. We talked about earlier things are pleasing because they are in expression or in line with God's nature. Things are perfect when no one can possibly improve on what God has authored. See, the original root of that word, teleos, it means to bring something to its goal, to bring it to its completion, to make it perfect. There's a story in the Bible, you've probably read it, uh, with Abraham. God has promised Abraham that he will be the father of many nations. That he will make him a blessing to all, to all nations, all people. And Abraham says, okay, all right. My wife is not fertile. I'm not stuff. But uh, (laughs) I'll just let one of my adopted sons take over. And that's what God said, no. So there's going to be a son from the fruit of of your loins. And it's going to be based on your actual legacy. Then God, a few chapters later, tells Abraham, Noah, take your son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. It's amazing that sometimes the very thing that God has given you that you think is the very thing that will help you on your journey towards success, towards whatever you think or you have, pre- have a preconceived notion of what God has promised to you, sometimes God will ask you to lay that very thing down on the altar. And uh, the, the, the amazing thing to me is that it says, the text says, early in the morning. There was no debate With Abraham, there's no question about what he was supposed to do. He didn't go back and forth with God; he just obeyed. So he leaves with his son and a few of his men. Then at one point they say, "Okay, we're going to go on from here—just me and my son." So he takes him up to the altar, or takes him up the mountain, and. They build an altar, and uh, we know from analysis that Isaac, his son, is not just a baby. He's not just a child who can be unwillingly put down. Abraham's an older, older gentleman. He's over 100 at this point, and Isaac is probably a young stocking man, somewhere either in his teens to early 20s. So the the, the supporting actor in this story, Isaac, sometimes doesn't get enough shine that He was going along and submitting the whole time with what God was instructing to his father. That's good discipleship right there. Pastor Benson was talking about having the church and moving new direction into a discipleship making place. And that's so central to to what God would have for us. So the amazing thing is that Isaac gets up on this altar and he's willing to be sacrificed. And the father is willing to kill his son, his only son. And just at the right time, an angel steps in, says, no, Abraham, there's, there's another sacrifice. There's a ram in the bush. God said it was a test for Abraham. That was the goal, was to test Abraham. And when he passed the test, it's in that moment that you can see glimpses symbolically of perfection. But this story points us to not just that. It's not, it it would be one thing if that was just one story out of a thousand, but these types of stories in the Bible are precursors for things that come in advance. And what this story is meant to point us to is, as Christians is that there's another father, God the Father, who had not a physical mountain, but a mountain of history that he rode up with his son. It's called eternity. And from eternity past to eternity future, the Godhead knew what needed to be done in order to save you and me. That there was a sacrifice that was perfect and pleasing and acceptable and that had brought all things to completion, and his name was Jesus Christ. That God the Father did not spare his own son. That while yet he stopped Abraham in the midst of being of, of about to slay his son, God laid it all down on the line. If God the Father... The maker of the universe, the author of heaven, the way maker, the promise keeper, the chain breaker. If he is willing to lay it all down on the line for you and me as a response, brothers and sisters, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to lay down your life, everything about of you, all of your motives, ulterior motives, your good intentions? Are you willing to lay it all down for Jesus For his glory and for his kingdom, can we give God praise? Are you willing, brothers and sisters, to commit with me that we will lay down everything for Jesus? That we are letting, we are willing to let it all die. Let it all die. Let it all go out the window. We are going to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if it takes the last breath in us. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we glorify. That's the God that we praise. The God who was willing to give everything himself as an example to us of what we could give. Brothers and sisters, the goal of life as a Christian is not to be successful. It's not to get rich or die trying. The goal of the Christian is life, and life more abundantly, united with Jesus Christ. And the only way you get to that, here's the formula in Romans 12 1 and 2, is you gotta try dying. You gotta try dying. Die to yourself, die to your ambitions. And give it over to Jesus. Let's all pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Lord, we're grateful for...